It's the show that makes us talk. You know, I learned something the other day. Yeah? You know what happens when you step on a bunch of grapes? What? They whine. Aww. <laughs> what about our life? With Chris and Will. My buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, wherever I go. infamous my buddy commercial from back in the day yay i do remember the commercial but i never actually owned a my buddy i don't think i did either no i was not a big fan of dolls uh especially because of the chucky movie the child's play movie oh. the chucky doll i never liked it so it kind of freaked me out but i did own a uh, big wheels yes me too and the mcdonald's playset they had back in the day hmm uh, a lot more stuffed animals like glowworms, yes. pound puppies. Pound puppies. I had one, and I had a light bright too. Yep, I had a light bright until until I was losing the pieces of it. Uh, <laughs> I had mine in a little plastic bag. I I did too, but I kept losing them, so I ended up breaking the machine. I don't know what happened <laughs> to it. But anyway, it's another great episode of What About Our Life with Chris and Will. This week we're talking about generational entertainment and classic TV sitcoms. Ooh. And when we talk about classic TV sitcoms, the best one that comes to mind, the one and only I Love Lucy. Yes. Favorite episode. Vita Vita Vegemin. Yep. Mine is the chocolate thing. I don't know which one yeah, yes, that's the one the where they were on the the chocolates were on the conveyor belt, yeah. and they had to try to uh, package them as quick as they can because it kept going faster and faster. Yep, I love Lucy. That was the best show. The I just like the Vita Vita Vegemin one because she kept drinking it and drinking it, and by the last gulp, she was practically pretty much <laughs> you know pretty much. Good actors back in the day. Everything yes. had a story and it meant something. So mm-hmm. um, very creative. More sitcoms like uh, Brady Bunch. Uh-huh. That was more of an afternoon show. I'd watch that after school when it would come on. Huh. Along with uh, Saved by the Bell. Yes. Which was originally uh, Good, Good Morning, Morning Miss Bliss. Bliss yes. Which started on Disney Channel uh-huh. and eventually went over to other networks. And it, um, some of the kids in the show weren't the kids from Saved by the Bell. They had yep. other casts. That's right. That's right. Frasier which was a mock-off of Cheers. No, I didn't know that until we started watching it at one in the morning in syndication. Yep, kind of like Empty Nest was also a shared show off of Golden Girls. That's right, because they were neighbors. Yep, that's right. And you know, Golden Girls would have actually never happened if it wasn't for Mama's family. Who knew? Who knew? Because Rue McClanahan and Betty White were contracted with Mama's family. And Mama's family started for a few years and then it got canceled. And then Rue and Betty moved over to Golden Girls, but Mama's family got picked back up again from another network. But Rue and Betty were not part of that section of Mama's family. Ah. That's why there's two casts of Mama's family instead of just one. Hmm. So, yeah. Roseanne, of course. Of course. Cosby Show. Alf. Yes. I had an Alf doll. I did, too. Still have (laughs) them. And it talked. Yep. Full House. Yes. That's one of my faves. 
Doogie Howser. I can't say I watched Doogie Howser much, but I did. I did, and my favorite part was when he typed in the journal on the computer journal at the end. Yep, Facts of Life. Mm-hmm. Two two seven, one of my grand favorites. Mm-hmm. Murphy Brown. Interesting choice. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. What about a different world? That one was different for me. <laughs> it was. I liked. I it. liked the theme song. Yeah, I liked it. What about Step by Step, part of TGI Fridays and Dinosaur that was also on there? I liked Step by Step of 50-50. I liked Dinosaur. Uh, uh, What was the phrase from the baby dinosaur? Not the mama. Not the mama. That's it. Yeah. What about uh, Wonder Years? Oh, yes. I watched it. And I watched it till I think it was the very last episode where uh, Fred Savage's character and the person who played Winnie, they kissed... Yep. It was a whole big shindig. I was not a huge fan of uh, Wonder Years, but it kind of grew on you. Uh, what about Munsters? Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. Leave it to Beaver. A few of them, yeah. How about Mr. Ed? I didn't watch Mr. Ed. Or The Adventures of Dolby Gillis. Didn't watch that neat. All of those were black and white shows, um, and they showed them late on Nick at Night. But I did watch Pee-wee's Playhouse. Oh, yes. And I had the play set with Cherry and uh, all the other characters. Maud? I watched a few. Mm -hmm. In Living Single? Yes, Living Single. Or how about some British comedies, Are You Being Served? Now, that one that one was mine because Mrs. Snookum had the different colored hair every week. Yep. How about Keeping Up Appearances? Oh, c- come on. I knew you were going to say that. Oh, That's your favorite. That is my favorite. <laughs> I loved it. Or how about uh, one that we're going to be talking about a little bit today, Mr. Belvedere. Do you yes, remember that one? Yes, I do. Yep. The mm-hmm. Nanny. Yes, of Laverne course. Laverne and Shirley, Home Improvement. Oh my gosh. The Mary Tyler Moore Show. Three's Company. Yes. There's so many. I mean, absolutely so many. That's what makes them classic TV. There's not many sitcoms today that I, I actually watch. Uh, how about me. Get Smart? I didn't watch that either. And did you know that the person who voiced Inspector Gadget was the guy who was one of the agents on Get Smart? Yeah, see, I didn't. Wa- I knew it was there, but I didn't watch. I liked it Get because Smart. of the shoe phone. I mean, it was kind of like uh, Charlie's Angels. I didn't watch that neither. I Nor did watch I watch uh, Batman and Robin. I, I did watch, watch the Batman show, the TV show. Yeah, I mean, I knew they were there, but I didn't watch. What about Coach? Yeah, a few of them. Night mm-hmm. Court. Yes, I the watched one that one. season of Bet, Bet Midler's show. Mm, familiar, a bit. Reba, of course. Yes. Wanda Sykes show. What about Night Court? I did. I watched that. I watched Night Court a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot. I love that. Uh, Mork and Mindy. Yes, I loved that show, especially with the pod thing and the different colors. And mm-hmm. Robin Williams' character had those suspenders. Yep. Did you watch? Um, Lois and Clark at all? No. Uh, how about Touched by an Angel? A few episodes. Yeah, a few. So there's a lot of classic TV. And today we've got a classic TV star with us. Eileen Graff is going to be with us today. Eileen, of course, you're going to know her as the amazing mom from the hit television show, Mr. Mr. Belvedere. <laughs> she was also the mom on the movie with Rodney Dangerfield, Ladybugs. But she's done so many other projects. She was on Mork and Mindy, actually. Mm-hmm. Lois and Clark, Laverne and Shirley, Three's Company, Heart of Dixie. 
um, touched by an angel. Uh, you know, uh, she was on Broadway, Promises, Promises, Grease, Annie, Get Your Gun, so many, so many greats. She sang the national anthem for the Dodgers, Angels, Clippers, and the Kings. Wow. And she's also a Grammy-nominated artist for recording some great music. She did some uh, Baby's Broadway lullabies, hmm. actually. So, yeah, she does a lot of different things. So we're very excited to have her on. So sit back, relax. Our special guest, Eileen Graff, is coming up. Streaks on the china never mattered before. Who cares? When you drop kicked your jacket as you came through the door, no one glared. But sometimes things get turned around and no one spared. All hands look out below. There's a change in the status quo. Gonna need all the help that we can get. According to our new arrival, life is more than mere survival. We just might live a good life yet. With us today, we're so honored and happy. She's an iconic television actress, a Grammy-nominated artist, and best known for being on the television sitcom, Mr. Belvedere, Eileen Graff. Hi, Eileen. Hello, gentlemen. How are you today? We are good. How are you? I'm just fine. I'm not going outside because it's too hot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. But, you know, Elf usually has some good wind weather. You don't, you're not getting any wind over there? I don't see anything moving outside, none of the trees, everything is just sort of very still and gray. And oh, yeah. that is so sad. We remember those days when we, <laughs> we go to L.A. a lot, but mm-hmm. we also go up to Palm Springs a lot, and the weather oh. of Palm Springs is just as bad, if not worse. Well, it's probably like 120 there or something. Oh, wow. <laughs> a good reason to stay away from Palm Springs. There you go. Except I have so many wonderful friends who live there that we'd love yes. to go and visit. Of course, of, of course. Of course. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. We are, of course, a huge fan growing up with Mr. Belvedere mm. and the many different things. And, of course, uh, one of my favorite Rodney Dangerfield movies, Ladybugs. Mm-hmm. Um, really? So, yes. yes. Oh. <laughs> You know, who can ever, you can never get enough of Rodney Dangerfield. I mean, no matter what he does, he can do the raunchiest comedy shows and it's still funny. Um, well, you yeah. know, he, he's an, he was an interesting guy. He, I uh, bet. He was, number one, really funny. Um, when we would be on the set and working on a scene, if they, if they you know, whoever they may be, the director, uh-huh. producer, whatever, weren't thrilled with um, a line, something wasn't as funny as they thought it was going to be or whatever, they would just say to Rodney, we need something over here. And within seconds, he would give them like five alternates, you know, just off the top of his head, one line funnier than the next. So he was really, he had that kind of uh, mind that some comedians have. They see the funny in the world Uh around them. While the rest of us are sort of seeing the the smog outside, he'll have ten jokes about smog. And so <laughs> it was it was like really watching a master at work. And I can see that just by looking at some of his work, I can just tell that 
some of this stuff that there's never a dull moment. He just comes up with stuff just probably <laughs> at the tip of his tongue right at that second. And, right. you know, you, I would almost have to picture you guys telling him, Rodney, stop already. I can't do this line. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you I know where I saw that the most of, of the stop already was working with Robin Williams and Jonathan Winters on Mork and Mindy. Oh, my oh, yes. God. I remember that show so much. It yeah, used to play on Nick at Night. I remember that. Yes. Uh-huh. Well, Jonathan Winters, if your guests don't know, was one of the great comic geniuses of our time. He had a very skewed and unique perspective on the world. And Robin Williams, of course, was his own kind of, of comic genius, a great actor, but really, really funny. And mm-hmm. they, they, and Jonathan did a lot of episodes of Mork and Mindy, and I did two episodes with them. And to sit and watch those two riffing off each other was, it, it just made your head spin, and we would be on set, and that would continue to happen when you're trying to rehearse. But they were so professional that when the director said, okay, enough, they would stop and just snap what? right back into character and do the work. It uh-huh. was just amazing. I That's a lot of great it. self-control I, there. <laughs> yeah, I believe that. I believe, So here would be a good, important question. Now, I was not, I, I know that my answer, I was not – surprised about this but unfortunately when the the passing of robin williams happened did it really surprise you on how much the world just really just felt devastated i mean you could feel that devastation from the world when he passed that's a really good question i know i was and everybody i know who knew him were shocked just shocked it's like where did that come from but then to see the outpouring of love, as you say, from all around, from everywhere, was really something. And and in in a horrible situation like that, it was the like the only good thing to come out of it. Do you know what I mean? That, yes. Mm-hmm. That at least he had for his family and for those who were closest to to him, which I was not. I only worked. I only did three episodes of Morgan Mindy, but. For those that loved him and were part of his daily life, it must have been so comforting to see how deeply he touched people all around the world. And it it is. And I, I agree with you. And the fact that it, it woke up so many eyes. Um, and that was the astonishing thing with it because we know a lot of different people who deal with depression on a daily basis or some mm-hmm. sort of a mental illness. And when that happened, it woke people up and said, "You know what? You can't identify it. it it's it's so kept. It's a kept secret sometimes." So, um, the one thing I think he accomplished in his career and his life was being a role model. And I, I really believe that even now that he's gone, he's still that role model. But he's that role model in a different way, still with the same way, because he he sent a message to the world to wake up and pay attention. Right, I think I think you're right, and and as far as depression, um, as you say, it's the hidden killer. We we don't see it if the person who is depressed is really good at not showing it to us. And uh, apparently, Robin was suffering from illness. Aside from his depression, he was right. also sick, and sort of made the choice in a way that he didn't want to go on being sick. Now, how that feeds into depression is something for someone who's far smarter and studies it and who has spent their lives studying this issue. But but you're right. 
and you know, and depressed. Oh God, the the young man who played my son in the Rodney Dangerfield movie with Jonathan Brandis. Yes. Yes. Also took his own life, um, and that was also due to depression. And n- none of us, none of us saw that coming. Um, his family, a little bit, um, who of course adored him and did whatever they could for him. But when it takes over your life and takes away your life, it's devastating. That was right. Jonathan's loss was absolutely devastating because he was a doll and so talented and yes. so smart and such a lovely kid that it just it just ripped everybody to pieces. When you got the script of Ladybug, what was your thoughts when you got that script and said, okay, you know, I'm going to do this for this reason? I thought it was silly. You know, yeah. nobody mm-hmm. is ever going to believe that a child <laughs> puts on a dress and a short bob with. But it's that, that suspension of disbelief when Clark Kent all of a sudden is Superman. He looks exactly the same. Because when I watched it, I never thought anything of it other than, okay, this is another great comedy. Roddy Nagerfield's in it. And gosh, uh, I can't think of her name. Jackie. Jackie, yes. She was also in it. And I, I was sitting there going, oh, I loved her because I loved her from 227. I was about to say that. Um, yep. You know, so, uh, yeah. Have, so. I have five friends that recently got married. And these guys, they just have a thing for Jack Hay. They adore Jack Hay. They pick her up in their house. And these are two super genius guys. They're just amazing, amazing people. And one of their friends got to Jack Hay and she came and surprised them at the wedding. Oh, wow. wow. Oh, my God. Was that, it was so much fun. And she looks at me and she says, I know you. <laughs> <laughs> we made a movie together. <laughs> but she was, uh, she's got an extremely generous spirit. I can see that. I Yes, I can totally see that. So let's kind of back up a little bit uh, on going, before we start talking about some of your bigger projects. You were also on Laverne and Shirley. I did. I guested on Laverne and Shirley in one of the most fun weeks I ever had. I was up to re- for a new character. They were going to add a new character on Laverne and Shirley, and uh-huh. I didn't get it. I was down, down to three of us. And one of my girlfriends got it, my other girlfriend didn't get it, and I didn't get it. But as sort of a consolation prize, they gave me this guest star on Laverne and Shirley, where we, uh, Lenny and Squiggy go on the dating game. And I was the girl who was questioning Lenny and Squiggy about, you know, to, to be their date. And it was hilarious. Oh my god, it was the funnest week ever. <laughs> it was, it was one of the first things that that um, Penny Marshall ever directed, uh-huh. and Lem- she was amazing. She would pull me over and she would say, "If you wait two beats before you say this line, you're gonna get a big laugh." I did everything <laughs> I wanted to, and uh, man, it, it was really, really fun. I loved doing that show. I can tell. I well, anything that I think Penny Marshall and even Gary Marshall come up oh, with yeah. have been our incredible legendary movies and so many things. And the, the funny thing I loved about um, they both played Gary and Penny played side by side as a married couple on in the movie Hocus Pocus. And I thought that was the most hilarious 
sing is to watch them to watch the brother and sister playing a married couple in this movie. It was so hilarious. I loved it. Um, I, but yeah. I don't remember that. I'm going to have to go back and find that movie. You will have to. Yes, you will. You'll 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 see it when it happens because the the Sanderson sisters think that he's uh, their master because yeah. he dresses up as the devil. So. Um, because they're they were in well, they were go they got caught up in trick or treating or that's something right like that. yeah <laughs> yeah it uh-huh. was it was so funny and she had curlers in her hair yeah so um, and wearing a bathrobe I think. yeah she was wearing a bathrobe and Sarah just I think Sarah Jessica Parker or Kathy and Jimmy one of the two was thinking she was Medusa because she had curlers <laughs> in her hair it was it was absolutely <laughs> it was funny it was classic roles so. Um, I can just imagine just both seeing them on screen and seeing them in interviews when they did them, their personality was amazing. So I can imagine working with her on that show and then being directed by her. I can just see that experience had to have been wonderful. So I agree. So it was a, it was a treat. Yes. So, all right, well then let's go right into your most infamous role, Mr. Belvedere and tell me how that came across. How did that happen? You go on an audition and you get the part. <laughs> oh, wow. Nice and simple. <laughs> um, back in the olden days when uh, Mr. Belvedere was coming around, the, the studios used to send a script to your house and you would read the script and decide whether you wanted to go in an audition or not. Uh-huh. So I get the script on my doorstep one day and my husband and I read it and he said, oh, don't even worry about it. This is your job. I said, what, what do you mean? He said, don't even worry about it. This is your role. It's got you written all over it. You're going to get this job. So he never said that. Well, he said that a couple of times before, and he was always right. So I go in and I audition, and my first audition went really, really well. My callback went really, really well. My um, And then after you audition for the producers and everybody, then you have to go get approved by the network, which in our case was ABC. So you you have to go to the network headquarters. Back then it was in Century City, and it's very intimidating. And there are a couple of other people up for the role, and um, all the brass is there, the people who have to say okay to to the to you. And I went into the audition, and Bob Uecker, who played my husband, yes. was there, and we just hit it off within the first couple of seconds. It was really wild. We just had a great chemistry and um and and I got the job and it was the most wonderful five years of my life. It was really something. Yeah. Well how was it like to work with Bob? I mean here's this amazing baseball uh star and now he's on television. So tell how was he like? Oh he was great. You know you you have to realize that Bob had been on T V for years before Mr. Belvedere. In fact he was attached to the project. It was kind of they sort of made it for him. Um, uh-huh. He had been very popular in commercials, in the Miller Beer commercials for years. He'd been on the Johnny Carson show for years. He was one of Johnny Carson's favorite guests. Yes, labeled as Mr. Baseball. I saw Mr. that. Mr. Baseball. And um, he'd been a broadcaster for years and years and years. And so he was very comfortable in front of the cameras. And as a as an athlete, you know, they're trained to be team players, and they're used to being told what to do all the time. 
Uh-huh. They're they're being coached constantly. Put your hand here. Do this. Go over here. Or you're going to steal the base. You know? So he came to Christopher Hewitt, who played Mr. Belvedere and was a very distinguished actor and director, and me, and said, "You guys are the pros. You tell me what to do, and I'll do it." So that was Bob. He had wow. no ego when it came to that. He knew he didn't have a lot of experience in that kind of acting, <laughs> and, we, and we did. And he was more than happy to just uh, do what he was told to do. And then after a while, it became apparent that nobody had to tell him what to do, that he was very accomplished and very skilled. But he made sure that our set was a team and that nobody was more important than anybody else. You know, the, the prop guy was as important as he was. And uh, the guy that pulled the cables behind the camera was as important as the costume designer, as important as the kids. He just had that about him. And that made for a very happy set. I could I could definitely see that. And by you explaining that, that everyone was just as important, that goes into teamwork. And that's why I think the show was so popular as it was. Well, thank you. I think that's, I think so too. We really had no hierarchy on the show. And, and that, it was really comfortable. It was just a really nice place to go to work. It shows. It definitely it, shows. You, it does show. Cause even when we were, um, you know, going back and re-looking at some of the episodes of Mr. Belvedere, and you can tell that it's still, it doesn't, that show even today does not feel aged at all. I agree. I mean, I, I think that because, uh, Christopher Hewitt played such a comforting person and mm-hmm. comical at that, that it's like, you know, you don't want to say, or you do want to say, he's every child's dream person to find and just, be there and grow up with. You know what I'm saying? Right, and always have the right thing to say. That, yes. yes. <laughs> you must have been reading my mind or something because I was thinking the, that exact thing. <laughs> yes. Oh, and if he, only we all had writers around us all day to tell us what to say so we don't mess up as much as we really do in real life. It would be just grand, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, it would be. Oh, and he had, in with his accent, it was just like, Perfect. I mean, mm-hmm, it was just yeah. so perfect because I mean, I've what look what Niles from the nanny had the right. had an accent too, but Niles was so he was so sassy in his way. But Mr. Belvedere, he was sassy, but he was sassy in the uh, I don't know how you would put it. He was just Classical. he was he was classy at it, yeah. and he was just like okay, whatever. And then you know. When he knows tactful. that you're, yeah, I think that's was, the word I'm looking for. Tactful, and then when he knew that you were wrong, he would turn around and say, "Okay, I'll take your apology now." So let's, you know, he was just that right. good because we watched the pilot, the the first episode, oh, when you guys right. didn't right. Uh, really know that he was coming, or you didn't know if you wanted him, and mm-hmm. right. the ending of that pilot where he's basically telling you, "Okay, well." You had actually said, well, we need somebody that um, can relate, can to, relate the to the children. And he turns around and says, okay, uh, such and such is this and such and such is that. And it's like, oh, okay. And that's just, that was brilliant in my opinion. So it was a really great casting in that position. Well, thank you. I had known Christopher before. He directed me in a musical in uh, in, in New Jersey. Um, and he... I think he and my dad also worked together. So I've known Christopher for years before Mr. Belvedere. And when I saw him at that last audition, it was like old home week. It was, it was, oh my God, I hope we both get this because wouldn't it be so much fun to be able to work together again? 
and we were both absolutely tickled pink when it turned oh, out that, wow. it was, that it was the two of us because we already, I already knew his foibles and the things that he liked and the things that he, he never chewed gum on our set. Never, never, never. He hated gum chewing. And I already knew that because he directed me in a show. <laughs> <laughs> So I knew how to stay. I knew how not to do any of the things that annoyed him and to do the things that he liked, like bring him a cup of tea or bring him a cookie or, you know, can I do this for you? Can I but he was a very, very supportive friend and provided um a big dose of reality every once in a while. You know, anybody that he lived through World War Two in England, you know, he was in the he was in the army and uh-huh. and he brought such a uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost a gravitas. He was very, very funny, but he was also very grounded. Right. And had really smart things to say and, and helped us all. He was all, he was our friend. Yeah. And was, was always there for us if we needed him. And so was Bob. Bob was, for the kids especially, such a friend. Uh, he looked out for those kids like nobody's business. Nobody got too close to them. Nobody made them work longer than they were supposed to. Not that that wasn't a problem on our set, but he really, um, he really felt like the dad. And you could tell that. Mm-hmm. You can tell that. Which brings me to this uh, this question uh, because we had we were watching this episode a little bit before we did the phone call and. Um, in season two, you guys did the episode that touched on AIDS. Oh, yeah. And so there's kind of several different questions I have with this one. But first of all, my, um, how did you, when they told you you guys were going to do this subject, what, what was the most immediate thought that came into your head that either you wanted to accomplish in doing this episode or maybe that you feared in doing this episode? There was no fear at all. Um, we were we were dying to do it, as it were, a bad choice of words, but we really, really wanted it to, to do this episode. It touched personally all of us, um, uh-huh. not just because of the many friends that I lost, you know, coming from the theater world and the musical world, and that Christopher lost, mm-hmm. um, but the managers of our executive producers, were really the impetus for that episode. They had twin babies who uh, needed blood transfusions when they were born. And that was before blood was checked for anything. And one of the babies mm-hmm. got a transfusion from a hemophiliac who was HIV positive. Oh, wow. And they they lost their boy. He died. Oh, wow. And this is the personal managers and business managers of the people who created Mr. Belvedere. And the little girl who survived and is doing great today was ostracized by all the other families. She couldn't, her preschool, she couldn't get into preschool. They, people were so afraid of her mm-hmm. before, before people knew any better. We all knew better, but the world didn't know any better. Right. So when they said, we're doing a story about AIDS, we said, thank God we're going to do this story because nobody else is talking about it at, at the level that we were. You know, family comedies weren't talking about this. Right. And we felt it was our duty uh, for Helen and Jerry, who were the parents of the kids and the managers, to get the word out in a very non-threatening way and uh, 
we just couldn't wait to do it. It was such a, it was an inspirational um, episode at that. I agree. And I have to say, watching it, I really loved the approach. Yeah. It wasn't just, it's a subject matter, talk about it and move on to the next thing. I mean, it was just, uh, how would you say, cleverly put together to where it Mm -hmm. is relatable and that people can understand it in in a language that, yeah, and you know, you guys all did so well in that episode, but the one that I, I I would say I would tip my hat to the most would be the I can't remember his name, but the young the boy who played the youngest in the uh Oh Bryce who yeah. played Wesley. Yeah, played played Wesley. Yeah. And the at the, yeah. Yes, and at the end when they were doing the Lincoln segment, um just what empowered me so much about that particular segment was when he was addressing the audience that was standing up and going against his decision. Yeah. And I'm like, that is such an impactful performance that you felt it and you, you, you really did feel it. So, um, I give you guys, I, I give you guys credit. That was a wonderfully well done episode. Very well. So, well, thank uh, you. We, we, we were happy with it and it did get the attention that that everybody wanted it to get. I don't know if it changed anybody's hearts and minds, but you still have to try. You still right. have to. You can't mm-hmm. sit back and say, oh, well, I'm not going to do anything. You have to try. And it's taken years and years and years and years and years. And um, I don't think people have the same kind of fears they used to back in the 80s. Right. And people in, in our world, in you know my world, aren't dying anymore. They're dying all over the world for sure. Uh-huh. In other in other parts of the world, but in our world, it's it's not as uh, scary as it used to be. My daughter lost her preschool teacher to AIDS, and um, right. and it was it, it was just awful. But you know, it really um, as the kids got older and they realized what happened, they didn't nest because they were little. You know, they were right. little. They didn't know what was going on, but when they had him for a teacher, but they loved him so much. And then when he died years later, so many kids came back from wherever they were in their lives to for Greg's funeral, and they spoke. And it was, you know, we all couldn't stop crying and laughing because of the impact that this guy had on the kids. And it was very touchy when he was diagnosed. People, again, didn't know what to expect. They didn't know what was going on. And we supported him as well as we could. And we were all there for him at the end, and it it has had it had a powerful, powerful impact on my daughter, and she talks about it about how it made her aware of the issue and um and contributed unfortunately contributed to the person she is today that it had to be something so awful right mm-hmm. now, speaking of that, do you I know from the time that you guys did the episode to where we are today, I know the the education format as far as informing the public about it has grown. So we have grown in some level from that time to today. But do you, I mean, obviously I would say, you're probably going to agree that say, yeah, but uh, do you think that we could do a better job in educating about AIDS? You can always do a better job. And, and, one of the things that just makes you crazy is that there is a medicine available to prevent it. And it's uh-huh. not 
being as widely disseminated as it should. And we need to educate people that it's there and they have to ask about it. And uh, that would help tremendously. And I think for the the other countries around the world who are suffering far more than we are, we can't pretend that it's gone away. You right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it hasn't. It hasn't gone away. It's just right. not quite as active in our community. And as you know, because you're younger guys, a lot of the young people, and you probably, you didn't live through it the way I lived through it. You know, I started losing friends in 1979, 1980. Uh-huh. Um, and from a time that we knew nothing to to today, we we the, the young people don't, it's like anything else, history. If you don't know the history and you don't feel the history, it's easy to not understand how huge it was. Right. So, yeah. um, and there's Absolutely. not a great respect for history in our country. You know, we don't teach Absolutely. history. We don't. Uh, so, okay, I'm not going to be on my soapbox too much longer, but. <laughs> You're fine. No worries. It's something, I've, it's something I feel strongly about. Yeah, absolutely. I I definitely respect your thoughts on it because we're on the same level. I yes, mean, we I agree too. we really we had to get educated. We had friends that had AIDS, and you know the biggest things that they would when they told us they were like, "Oh, well, I guess you don't want to be friends anymore." And it's like, no. That, oh God. It's oh, like, no. Of course. Why would we? Why would we not? And yeah. he goes, "Because I have AIDS," and I go, "That doesn't mean anything." I go, "We just need to be educated more about it." And so we did, and he educated us. He told us all about it and we learned a lot and I think that's the the biggest thing is it's just the name people get so afraid of the name and they mm-hmm. shouldn't you know educate right. yourself about it and right. so you know so yes absolutely I mean we it's a terrible thing but it doesn't have to be in so many mm-hmm. levels right and it's and it's not an automatic death sentence that it was back in the 80s I mean right. I, I have I have friends right now who are HIV positive who are absolutely fine they're uh-huh. vigilant about their medicine, and, and and they're fine. There's, like, nothing wrong with them. Right. And to remember back to the day when it was an automatic death sentence uh, to where we are now is is just great. But it still requires you to be smart, as you say, and to be educated. So if you are HIV positive, you can, you can live a long and healthy life, but you have to know how. And right. you have to be willing to do the work to make that happen. And I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. Which comes into this one. Um, when you guys, because you guys touched on quite a few different subjects on Mr. Belvedere. If mm-hmm. you, now I don't know how much TV you actually watch or if you don't watch TV at all. In comparison, would you compare, how would you compare TV from the 80s to TV now? Do you think they touch on what you guys touched on back then at all? Oh, I, you know, I do. I don't watch a lot of, um, comedies on TV. Uh, I love Modern Family. (laughs) 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 There are a few shows I watch, but I think that the stuff that we had to go through approval for and we want to do this show and it's a whole big deal, now everybody, like, talks about this stuff. I I don't know if they talk about it on the comedies, though. I can't, I must say I am not educated because I don't watch them very much. Right. But, I think the dramas all hand tackle everything. There's nothing off limits anymore, and um, I think that's good. You know, we yeah. we did an episode about um, oh, we did an episode where my character Marsha was getting hooked on pills, and uh-huh. we did it through the eyes of the adult, not the eyes of not one of the kids, because 
you know, there's so much, oh, kids and drugs, and you have to be careful kids and drugs, and that's absolutely true. But we wanted to show that it can happen to anybody, not just a vulnerable young person. It can happen to anybody. It could happen to Marsha, who was the one whose head was screwed on the straightest, who was in law school, who was studying, who was serious, who was a mom. It could happen to her. And I think that was a really interesting choice. And now, you know, this is not a subject that is not touched upon anymore. Everybody talks about it. I think the more shows talk about it, the better. I mean, look at the difference that, that, I mean, just like Will and Grace made such a huge difference in our country. Uh And, and, you know, the, the more talking about these issues, I think the better. And if shows are doing it now, the better. Absolutely. Right. Right. Do you mm-hmm. think um, Mr. Belvedere would work in today's world? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? I mean, it, you, everything has to be updated. You have to stay with the style of the time and the way things are done. But I think family shows are still really important. You know, the the thing that one of the things that was most touching about doing our show was all the years that we were in syndication kind of after school hours. Uh-huh. I can tell you how many people come up to me and hug me and say, you don't understand, you raised me. When I came home from school, nobody was there, and I would turn on your show, and you raised me. So, wow. you know, sometimes it just makes you want to weep when, when, and, and, and be happy and glad that at least they were with us. And I, I think that family shows are important. And shows like Blackish are important and Off the Boat. You know, right. anything that shows a family dealing with issues and at the end of the day they're still together and they still love each other through all of their silly hijinks <laughs> <laughs> but but they're still together they still care about each other and they still love each other and i you know why not i think that's a good thing you guys should so totally do i don't want to say a, necessarily a reboot but a continuous story now i, I know christopher's passed on but yeah. do a continuous story of you know you got your two characters the, the two parents retired and see the kids grown up <laughs> and the fan, you know i would right. love to see that i think that would be a wonderful let's say uh netflix amazon type show you know right. and and maybe we could get niles to come over and oh, oh yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i don't know though because i think i i heard i read that they're trying to do a nanny reboot so you may not you may not get it uh, I, I, yeah, I'm not so sure. You know, Fran, who's a friend, um, she's one uh-huh. of my brother's, one of my brother's very dearest friends. In fact, she's on a new NBC show in the fall, the name of which escapes me. But uh, oh, she's, really? She's, yeah, I can't remember what it's called. But she has a husband, and they have children and uh, grown children. I think she's like the grandmother. I don't want to say wrong information. I'm very good at saying wrong information. No, you're fine. Right. <laughs> wow. Well, that's but. Good to know, because, you know, rumors of ever since Full House started doing it and then, you know, Will and Grace came back and they attempted Roseanne and some of the, you know, everybody underneath the sun is talking about reboots. Some, I love the idea of it, but, you know, some that I I really don't, you know, Mm -hmm. but uh, kind of going back on the little bit of the facts you were talking about, the syndication stuff, and you're so totally right on how syndication actually made a difference in some of the shows. Because that's how it was when we watched Mama's Family. Yes. Mama's oh. Family was huge with syndication. You know what I'm saying? And, yes, there were some classic shows. You just have to laugh when you think of Mama's Family, right? I know. You just, you just, you just think of 
Vicki Lawrence in that outfit, and you go, yep. oh, my but you know that she actually goes. She's on tour right now, and she actually does. It's they they call it a two woman show where she does Mama in her show. So right, I right. haven't she seen it, and I'd love to see it. But um, I do remember when Vicky actually had her own talk show, and she brought Mama right. on the show and did it. I do remember that. <laughs> <laughs> but that would be that would be hilarious. With that, now do you, do you still talk to some of the cast from Mr. Belvedere? Oh, sure, 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 sure. I had lunch with Tracy a couple of weeks ago. She played my daughter. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, I, you, you see, the thing is, is, when you play a mom, the kids <laughs> think that they have to listen to you, even though you're not really their mother. <laughs> <laughs> and if I, they're, they're just, they're great. If I say, could you please do this for me? Could you come over? Could you do this? They're, they absolutely they're they're just great we had we did have a party not last year the year before we had oh my god almost i think about 40 people here at my house from the show like between uh-huh. 30 40 and they came from all over the country people who'd moved back home you know the our crew the producers writers it, it was really fun and and um yeah so i i'm still in touch with the kids and they're all doing great wow that must have been a really big moment, even having the cast and the crew and, as you said, all the production staff. Well, you guys, should, I hope you guys took a big group photo. We we did take a picture. Um, I'm, I don't, I'm not sure. If I can find it, I'll send you a copy. I don't. Yeah. I'm, such, I'm so bad at categorizing my pictures. My, my photo file is a disaster. That's okay. <laughs> Mine is, too. So no worries. No worries. <laughs> Honey, we still have film we hadn't even developed. Yes, yet. and these are from the disposable, the disposable cameras. Uh huh. Yep. Uh, that's from well over twenty years yeah, ago. We're so bad at that. And we have we have a roll of film, and we know what's on it, and we're really hoping that we could develop it because actually it's an interesting story. We were in New York. Um, Two days before 9-11, and we have pictures of the Empire State, I mean, not the, the, the World Twin, Trade Center, the yeah. Twin Towers, right before uh, 9-11. So for wow. us, it's a part of history, and I'm like, I hope that film isn't ruined. But we were told that there are still companies out there that can develop on, um, you know, film from back in the day. And I'm like, oh, wonderful. It might cost me a little bit, but, hey, that's wonderful. Um, you should see if Costco can do it. You know, I haven't mm. thought about that. Yeah. I absolutely have not thought about that because there oh, is a there, there's a Costco out here. There's at least one. Mm-hmm. I do know that. I mean, I'm on my way to Costco when we hang up. Oh, <laughs> well, we do like Costco, yes. of course, especially <laughs> the one. You know, L.A. was the one that got us hooked on Trader Joe's, and thank God Trader Joe's went everywhere else too. So, you know, we're happy that they have a Trader Joe's in Louisiana and Florida. So yeah. we're like, oh, this is wonderful because we love shopping Trader Joe's. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, when you guys – so the show was coming to an end. Uh, what was your immediate thought that you knew that, okay, this was this was it? You guys were not going to see each other and work each other from this point on. What was your thought on that? I was so sad. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. I was so sad. I wasn't going to get to see my friends every day. But, you know, I've been in show business a really long time, and I've done a lot, a lot of work, and eventually everything comes to an end. So it's right. like anything in life. It's over. And then you move on to the next. You know, at, at right. that point in my life, I had a young child, and I 
was I then had the the freedom and opportunity to focus my attention on that and I and on our recording project and you know the you just you just move on you you can't think that everything's going to last forever I once worked with a right. A, a young kid who thought that when the show, not our show, but it was a different, it was a different project, thought that when it was over, we were all still going to be best friends. And I said, I'm always going to have great fondness in my heart for you, but don't, and I don't want to be the bad guy, but don't think that every show is going to lead you to be best friends with everybody for the rest of your life. If you right. pick up one person out of a show or two people out of a show that you carry with you, you're very lucky. Right. Absolutely. And I do have to commend you. Uh, you have a very talented daughter. Um, you obviously have a very talented husband. So talent runs in that family. So you guys are incredible. So I, I want to say that right at that moment. Well, thank you. I, I'm really lucky. I do come from a talented family. My, my grandmother used to run away from her bookkeeper job on her lunch hours to play piano in the silent movies. And she oh, sang, wow. she sang really beautifully. My dad was in show business his whole life. He was a singer. And um my brother is a Tony Award nominee and he writes and directs movies. My cousin Randy is a Tony winner for her role in City of Angels on Broadway. Wow. My daughter's been in two Broadway shows. My cousin Lori's been in several Broadway shows. My husband Don Lanzaroni is a very accomplished composer. He wrote the music for dozens and dozens of episodes of television and and whatever. Nico's Ralph Lanzaroni came along and fit into the family just fine. <laughs> <laughs> She's very talented. She's very accomplished. She's, um, like I said, she's been in two Broadway shows herself and off-Broadway shows, and she's worked all around the country. And um, she's a union activist, and she's uh, married to a veterinarian. So what more could a mother want, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so go ahead. Willie's got one more question yeah. about Mr. Belvedere, and we'll move on to the other topic. Yes. Yeah. So at the end of every episode, Mr. Belvedere would write in his journal. So what I, and I really liked that part because it was a great summary of each episode. And it also gave a little bit of what he thought or, you know, what he felt he was going to do next. So my question is, if you were to find Mr. Belvedere's journal today, what would you think he would have brought, what he would write about the Owens family in today's age? (laughs) He would say, put down your phones and communicate with each other face-to-face. <laughs> <laughs> he would hate the fact that we're always got our heads in our phones. That would just irritate him no end. He would hate everybody being on the computer all the time. He would, um, he would, ju- it would just drive him crazy because he was so proper and believed so much in the old values, although he really was very hip to everything that was going on. But he was a man of, Mr. Belvedere was a man of great heart and great manners. And he would want us to be treating each other much more civilly than we do these days. No question in my mind. <laughs> and that's good. Yeah, that's very good. I didn't, I, I didn't think that, but you're so totally right because, um, you know, we can't live without our phones for some odd reason. But I'm still trying to figure out how we managed to do that back in the day when we had no cell phones. 
Um, you know, I, no, we, did, we got our first cell phone. I, I was on location someplace. I don't remember where I was. Oh, no, no. We got the phone when I was – the first phone we got when I was doing Mr. Belvedere, and it was huge. We still have it. Oh, and, wow. And it, and it had a separate um, handset like you do on, like, an old landline, and it had a curly cord that read from the body of the phone. It was, it was uh-huh. almost like a wall phone, except you plugged it into your car. And let me tell you something. To this day, it was the best sound quality of any phone, any mobile phone I've ever had. Wow. <laughs> I can yeah. believe that. Mm-hmm. I really can. Wow. So what would you say your best moments on TV would be? Because you've done a lot. Oh, my best moment on TV. Oh, my <laughs> God. I That would require some thought. Well, you know, that the episode that I loved, um, I mean, I loved when Robert Goulet was on the show, who was a great Broadway and, and singing star, and he guested on our show a couple of times, and we got to sing together. They set up a whole nightclub, and I got to sing with Robert Goulet. Oh, so wow. that was really, that was so much fun. Um, I'm trying to think back on all the jobs. Oh, you know, which was great was I got to do um, uh, a Disney Movie of the Week version of South Pacific starring Glenn yes. Close uh-huh. and Harry Connick Jr. And we shot a whole summer in Australia. Wow. That was really cool. Oh, my gosh. It was just remarkable. It was a beautiful set. It was an amazing experience. I love Australia. And the work that we did, I thought, was fantastic. Uh, I got to act with Glenn Close. Give me a break. Who gets to yes. do that? Yeah. Right. right? <laughs> I could just and picture that's... you guys sitting back, uh, Harry Connick Jr., Glenn Close, and yourself at a table with martinis just enjoying Australia. Yeah, okay, you could think that. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, my thought was that maybe you're on the coast somewhere and sitting in uh, beach chairs, you know, and the wind's blowing through your hair. Maybe Glenn Close is wearing sunglasses and you're all just uh, lazy and back and just enjoying the scenery. <laughs> yeah, and then working 12, 14-hour days at the same time. But, you know, it was so beautiful, and we all believed so strongly in the subject and the subject matter of South Pacific. You know, it's such an important show in the history of American musical theater um, that we all were really honored to be there and do the work. And we did have lots of fun time. I mean, one day, Harry and Glenn and Bobby Pastorelli, who was also one of the stars, who also took his own life. Oh, my God, it's just epidemic sometimes. They uh chartered a boat for us for the whole cast all of the women who played the nurses the i mean it was and we snorkeled the great barrier reef and it was oh my god give me a break it was you know we looked around and said what how did this happen how did we luck out to be here <laughs> wow and and to get this experience while doing a really important show so, you know, we're we're very lucky in our business. If you have a few of those moments sprinkled in your career, it's 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 precious. It's just precious. It, it doesn't happen all the time. It happens rarely. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm lucky. I didn't I I didn't have nearly as much as a lot of people, but I had I I had a lot for me, you know, for yeah. for how my life turned out. Well, we say that every day because we're thankful for this show. We were, when we got asked to do it, and we were like, okay, podcasts, we don't really listen to podcasts. (laughs) We'll start, we'll (laughs) learn. 
So we started getting into it, and then more and more we started getting more guests and more guests. I'm like, wow, this is this is wonderful. So we started looking for the guests that we admired the most with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, even with talking with you, it's like it, you're part one way or another. You're a part of our life because we yes. watched you on television almost yes. every mm-hmm. week whenever it came on, mm-hmm. every day whenever it was syndicated. So mm-hmm. you know, those parts of our life are so memorable. But um, you, you just can't you, you can't ask for anything more than those moments. And the quality what? of those moments for each person, you know, they even though if somebody has only a few or somebody has a lot, there's it there's no point in comparing them because every moment is special. And Absolutely. Those, are, those are moments that each person they'll always cherish them. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I think we run into big trouble when we start comparing ourselves to other people in any world, in any sense, in any business. Right. Um, because you're always going to be doing better than somebody, and you're always going to be doing worse than somebody. <laughs> well, that's what we we had to, we educated ourselves on that with this show. The one thing that um, we're really good friends with one of the ladies with at iHeart who kind of contributed with this and. You know, she told us one thing. She goes, the one thing about your show is not everybody's going to like it, but the ones that like it, they're going to love it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, that's fair enough because I don't have to be like all the other podcasts. You know, that's not what our goal is. And we've just been tremendously successful with it, and we've been proud of it. I mean, girl, we, we took one week off and didn't tell anybody we weren't doing an episode for that week. I got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails. What happened? Where's the episode? What happened? And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess we have something good going on for us. Well, you know, when you're doing something, I mean, we're just sitting here talking on the phone. You have no idea that anybody's listening. We're just having a really cool conversation, and I'm loving you guys, and I think you're bright and quick and have have good hearts and everything. But and and it's the same thing when you work on television. You have no idea that you're having any impact. You just go to work. I got in my car. I went to work. I got my coffee. I sat down. I said my lines. I hung out with my friends. I went home. And yes. it's not until the show is on the air or or years later that you say, "Oh my God, millions of people watched this. Millions and uh-huh. millions of people." took us into their home. And it, in a way, it's good that you don't think about that every day because you get paralyzed. <laughs> you would because you would be so busy trying to outdo what you did last week. And yeah. I'm like, okay, I can't do that because every week mm-hmm. is a different person and we talk about the different things. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, we love every guest equally, but there's one guest that we're interviewing um, fairly soon. And, I was honored that we got this call, and it was uh, Raleigh Crum. I don't know if you're familiar with Raleigh, Uh but he is a Disney legend. Yes. He is probably the only one left that worked side-by-side with Walt Disney in building Disneyland. Oh, my God. Yes. Mm -hmm. And when I I spoke to, I guess, his assistant, and I'm sitting here going, you do not understand. this. He animated Peter Pan. Beauty oh and the Beast. I mean, not Beauty and the Beast. Sleep, uh, Sleep and Beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, and he designed Haunted Mansion. It's a small world. The Tiki, uh, the Tiki Bird House. And, and he also designed stuff for the World's Fair back in what was it? Yeah, that's right. So um, if you look him up, you'd see. And I'm sitting there going, boy, you do not understand. This is an honor. I mean, everybody grew up with Disney in some little way. Mm-hmm. And the fact that 
he loves sharing stories about Walt Disney and his time of designing Disneyland. And I'm like, wow, that just brings me back. You know, you can't, there's not really not any other designers that you can talk to nowadays that can say, well, we helped build Disneyland. I'm like, okay. Of course. Yes. And you have, and you have history in that area. I mean, we do. Yes, I, we looked, do. I looked you up too. You know, <laughs> ah. And, and so you, you know, who've worked in the parks and have been on the design side and the development side, know what a pioneering event that was. And for you to be able to talk to someone who was there has to really mean something very special to you. It does, absolutely. And thank you for saying that because it it really, really, really does. So, you know, and even with being in the industry, because we've worked on a couple of sitcoms as well, knowing Mm -hmm. how you guys have gone through it and with films and even with, authors and music and stuff like that we touched in so many different industries that um you know we always like to educate ourselves and saying hey look you know you had a mark in my life tell me Mm -hmm. how was this like back then and you know what what could i do to get to this point or how should i just be and i don't even have to ask that question just the fact that you as as a guest of our show you're telling us that and you're giving us that and it's just a wonderful friend conversation. Very you know natural. Very mm-hmm. natural. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Thank you for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, so go ahead and tell me a little bit of uh, best moments on Broadway. Oh, best moments on Broadway. Um, you know, there were many, but I think every broad, everybody that wants to do musical theater I mean, the goal is to create a role in an original musical. Everybody wants that. You want to be on the record. You want to have that experience. So being able to create a role in um, I Love My Wife, which was it was a hit musical, and uh, we opened in 1977, and Cy Coleman, you know, the uh-huh. great, great songwriter, and Michael Stewart uh, were the writers of the show, and um to to be able to go through that process and then have an opening night that was as as great as anything you've ever had imagined it couldn't have been better and to to do the show that night and then at the curtain call have the people going absolutely berserk was something i'll never forget uh just an extraordinarily memorable experience and something I could tick off the list of things I always want. Wow, very nice. Would you say the same experience? Well, how was your experience with Grease? Oh, Grease was great. I love doing And, you know, talk about keeping friends. The Greasers are still friends. I mean, oh, wow. we, we've been friends for, like, 45 years. I think uh, the people that did Grease, especially the first time around, we were very, very young when we did the show. We were like 20, 21 years old doing this show. And and our group friends kind of took the place of our real high school and college friends in a way because we were playing kids. So we bonded really tightly. And we're still friends today. There's a, a whole bunch of us that I still count as some of my very best friends. Um, Greece was just pure fun. There, wow. it, you know, you got to sing those songs and skip around on stage and, and laugh like a kid. It was it was great. I was there for two and a half years, so it was it was wow. it was super. It was super. Very nice, very nice. And you're doing a um, music project right now. We're helping other artists find their music. Tell me about that. Well, my husband Ben Lanzaroni and I teach a uh, vocal performance workshop that we call "Making the Song Your Own," 
where mm-hmm. we work with uh, people who love to sing and we get them to become more confident performers, performers who are able to communicate with an audience and get in touch with their feelings and their emotions and how that all relates to singing a song effectively. And I just love doing it. Uh, the years that I've been teaching, I think, have made me a much better singer because I've had to really understand what my process is. Actors talk about process all the time. It gets boring. But we do have a way we do things so that we're not just flailing about in space. And I try to give a technique to my students, and they build a – they love to sing. They're not all professional singers. They're, they do all kinds of other jobs in their real lives. But on Saturdays when they come to us, they are singers, and we we just love it. We love the people, and I love the experience of helping them get better, helping them improve. Very nice. Wow. Wow, wow. yeah, that's really great. Now, do you, as far as people who don't sing, do you have any <laughs> advice for them on coming up with their own style of creating music? Um, I think people... First of all, I think a lot of people who think they can't sing can sing. They've just been told their whole lives that they stink, so they believe it. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I think everybody has the ability to sing. I don't think everybody's as good as Barbara Streisand. Make no mistake about that. Uh, I don't think everybody's as good as Luciano Pavarotti, but you you can still express your feelings through songs. And it's a very liberating and, and wonderful way to to dig down and figure out what's wrong, what's bothering you that day, and how am I going to not take it out on anybody? I'll take it out on my song. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> it's like, why are you screaming your song today? Why aren't you singing your song nicely? Because I'm angry at this or that or the other thing. Get that wow. out of your system and we'll go back to singing. Uh, singing has always been super important to me. It's the thing that I did first, and it's the thing that I think I'm the best at. And Oh, and speaking of that, if I may, we're going to uh-huh. be doing um, a holiday show here in L.A. at a place called Feinstein's at Vitello's and uh-huh. on December 21st, and it's a really fun uh, holiday show that we've done before, and everybody said, you got to bring it back, you got to bring it back. So we're bringing it back this year, and uh, nice. I'll have some very talented friends with me, including my brother Todd, and it's just it's just fun, and I love working on it. Wow. Well, we'll definitely recommend checking it out, and if we're in L.A. during that time period, we will definitely check it out, because yes. we actually get married in the beginning of December. Yes. So, we do. Uh, yes. We do. We do. That's so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It will be at Walt Disney World. We're having a Disney wedding. Are you kidding me? No. no. You'll have to come. Oh We've been together God. for a, a long time. <laughs> but that's so cool. I mean, and think how far Disney has come. Please. Yes. 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 Right? Yes. Well, well, that's exciting. But, you, but but come here for the holidays. Come here for the We probably will. Yeah. We, love the, we love the weather in L.A. during mm-hmm. December and January. You know, no doubt about it. We, you know, the funny thing is, is we're always in L.A. at the times that we probably shouldn't be in L.A. So, you know, yeah, all of our friends sit there and say, well, you need to come to L.A. at this time period. Well, we were just there a couple months ago. Yep. You need to come back. I can't. I'm going to be here at this time period. And it's like, 
Well, then cancel that. I can't cancel that. (laughs) Well, cancel it. Why can't you just do what I want you to do? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, but we try, we try to stay our, our poor home, our poor life at, at, in Florida, our furniture and our knickknacks and everything at home never see us because we're always traveling so much. Yeah. So, you know, but we love it. We love traveling. Yeah, we love being mobile. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's our adventure. It is our, we love our adventures. And, yeah. you know, next year our goal is to travel the world. Hopefully the yeah. world will be in a better situation than it is now. But, you know, that's what we want to do. So we're trying to check off our bucket list now and get it early. So if we ever decide to go and adopt kids and go in that direction, then we have time to spend family. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. think I, I love to travel. My husband and I travel as much as we possibly can. We are cruise addicts. And um, I just, as soon as we get home from a trip, I'm on the computer figuring out the next trip. So I strongly believe in it. And I think you should go while you can still walk. I think it's very important. Absolutely. (laughs) And we will. And we will. So one final question that I have for you might be a little bit tricky, but it may not. Oh, God. already know, you probably, well, actually, two things, because I want to ask this one first before I get to the final question. Um, I've always wondered, because I sing myself, and I've never even attempted to go to this level to do this. One, because I feel like I would forget the words, and then it would be disaster. How hard is it to sing the national anthem? Oh, (laughs) it's a little (laughs) tricky. It's tricky because it's rangy. You've got to start low enough so that you can hit the high notes nice. So you've got to find a really good starting note. And and, And you need to... You need to kind of know what you're doing right. so that your voice sounds good all the way through the whole ranginess of the song because it starts low and it goes high. And, of course, the words are tricky. And there's rarely a time when you sing the anthem when you're not nervous because it's always in front of thousands and thousands of people. Right. So you just have to be as well prepared as you possibly can and just practice and practice and practice and practice. And what's cool nowadays is that they put the lyrics up on the Jumbotron when I first started doing the anthem, they didn't do that. So I would just do my best and plow through and wow. remember to breathe and remember to remember your starting note. Very important. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Not that I have plans on singing the national anthem, but I always thought that. I go, you know, I well, bet anytime you. Anytime you want to come over and coach with me on the anthem, I would be happy to work with you. Oh, I will take you up on that, that offer because one day I will. Uh, one day I will, but I'm just not ready right at the moment. But I definitely will. Okay, here is that wonderful question that I was going to ask you. So, yeah. at this point of your life, what would, if this is even possible, what would make your career complete? Well, I always kid around and say I have three things on my bucket list. The first is to do a Hallmark Christmas movie because I'm addicted to Hallmark Christmas movies. Yes. Wow. Yes. So I want to do that. I want to do another Broadway show before I die, and uh-huh. I want to sing with the symphony orchestra because I've never done that. So I definitely have three things that I want to do, and I and I'm, I keep working towards it, and they haven't worked out yet, but I have hope and faith that one day you will hear me singing um, with the symphony orchestra on at Broadway the Hollywood Bowl at at in a Hallmark Christmas movie. Yeah, okay. Well, then, at the Hollywood Bowl. I'm going to set that up. At the Hollywood Bowl. At the Hollywood Bowl. Because <laughs> whose dream is it not to sing at the Hollywood Bowl, you know? And, you know, every every concert starts out with the, the crowd singing the national anthem. So, you know, you, you could be in business right there. 
Oh, oh. you never know. <laughs> and believe it or not, as sad as it sounds, as many times as we've lived in L.A., been in L.A., I have not once been to the Hollywood Bowl. Yep. Not once. I don't know well, why. We've got we to fix that. It's the best place in L.A. That and Disney Hall are my two favorite places in L.A. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, yep. absolutely. We will. We will. Well, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna definitely be in touch with you because, girl, we're going to go out. We're going to have fun, and we're going to do all kinds of stuff. But, you know, you'll have to come okay. to Florida for the wedding, too. You know that. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? I love going to Florida. I've got family and lots of friends in Florida. We try to go once a year, so we've already been this year. Well, you never know. You, you never, never know. You, you never know. know. <laughs> I've, I've never been to Orlando, though. Ah, well, then that means you have to go because you'll go to Disney World because that means you've never been to Disney World. I have never been to Disney World. No. Yeah, because over there it's not just uh, well, one part. Uh, or two, two parts, parts it's four. <laughs> <laughs> you've said that before, haven't you? <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> we have said that a lot. A lot. I, I mean... Uh, so, well, talk about something being a big part of our lives. It, I mean, Disney is is as ingrained in American life as anything. I actually went to Disneyland the second year it was open. We were living in Las Vegas nice. at the time. My dad was working in Vegas, and we got in the car and drove across the desert to go to Disneyland. And let me tell you, I was very cool for a long time after that because I was the only kid who had been there. Wow. Right? That's amazing. Cool. That is amazing, yes. Well, we will have to take you around. Florida will be our territory, I guess, and L.A. will be yours. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, love, thank you so much for joining us on the show. We really appreciate this. Yes. This is a fun conversation. And very awesome. enjoyable. <laughs> My pleasure, and I wish you guys all the very, very best. You know, I think the one thing that I like most about these conversations is they're inspirational. They're motivational in a sense. Yes, I do agree. We, yeah, we talked on a lot of different subjects, especially about depression with Jonathan and, you know, working in this business and even not working in this business. It's so easy to forget about what depression looks like or even that it exists. Mm -hmm. And that it takes many forms too. Yeah, it does. It does. So... Our best advice to everyone is to keep tabs of all the good people around you. Even the ones that you think are extremely strong. Yes, strong, quiet, whatever it may be, you never know what they're going through in life. And it just takes you to say, hi, how are you doing? And keep tabs with them just for them to feel like they are loved. Yep, give them a hug, do whatever it takes. I'm listening whatever it takes yes and you know what we're always free for you to contact us if you need anything because we love you guys dearly and we're always there for you yep so you can pop us a message on our instagram at chris.ann.will and we'll be happy to reply to you absolutely so tell your friends about us uh, like, share, and follow, all that fun stuff. But we want to thank you guys for coming out and listening to us for another great week of What About Our Life with Chris and Will. Yes, indeed. We want to thank Eileen for joining us. We had a great classic conversation. Yes. But wow. for now, unfortunately, we have to say goodbye for another week and until next week. Another great guest, another great topic, another great episode of What About Our Life with Chris and Will. But for now, friends, we got to go. So bye. Bye.